0: You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exhort you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brothers speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? We are back in our study of uh, the book of James, and this afternoon we will be considering verse 4 through to verse 6 of chapter 4. And the last time we, we were, uh, were in this book, we saw from verse 1 to verse 3 how the James was diagnosing what was the source of quarrels among them. And it was very clear that these quarrels as a result of their own passions within, asking for selfish reasons, coveting, and therefore committing murder one unto the other. And James was so concerned that this, this attitude should not be so among Christians. For the world, yes, because they are devoid of the grace of God, but not for Christians. And now this afternoon, he, he shows us that true faith avoids worldliness. True faith avoids, avoids worldliness. In verse 1 to verse 3, James had just exposed the worldliness of his audience and hence telling them that that was the source of their fights, their quarrels. And the exposure of their worldliness is followed by a sharp rebuke. And this rebuke is administered. In three areas. Their there are friendship with the world, which he regards as spiritual adultery. Then he also said it rega- disregards the warnings of the scriptures and it evokes divine displeasure from God. And this warning also is a warning to all of us that. If we say we are Christians and we are worldly, we, we, we want to be like the people of the world or get involved in the affairs of the world just as the people of the world, we, we, we need to realize that, that this evokes displeasure from God. And God who saved us from our sins is not happy when we live our lives Like this, and therefore, as we continue through the book of James, we've seen that James has been highlighting, or the lessons is this that true faith will show itself in practical, godly living. And this afternoon, we will be seeing that true faith avoids worldliness. True faith avoids worldliness. And the first thing I'd like to draw your attention to is this. For a Christian, for a Christian, friendship with the world is spiritual adultery. Friendship with the world is spiritual adultery. And this is what you see when James begins verse 4. and He says, You adulterers, People, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. But you see, the first half of verse 4, James doesn't want to miss his words. He's basically saying, for anyone who's a, (coughs) a Christian, a child of God, Friendship with the world is spiritual adultery. And James makes this declaration clear. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? And, and, and you see, James throughout his letter, has repeatedly re- addressed his, his audience with tones of affections. When you read chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, he will write to them as, my dear beloved, my dear brothers, my dear brethren. And now in, he- in this particular vase, he doesn't, just, doesn't address them as my beloved brothers, but he writes to them as you, Prullo." Oh, but also is saying to them, you adulterous. And this is to try and show how opposed he is to worldliness. His language vigorously objects their worldliness and then hence this this cutting categorization uh, of his audience as you adulterous people. Now the words, you adulterous people, when you read the original language, they are in what is to as the feminine form. And, and so, the, 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 the literal translation into the English will not be you adulterous people, but you adulterous people. You adulterous people and when you read the king james after the king james would say you adulteress and you adulterous people now obviously this translation is is based uh, like the king james translation on a weak uh, manuscript that uh, obviously the translators were referring to because when james uses the feminine he's, he's not basically attacking females as some commentators would say, and it's very interesting when you read commentators and they're trying to argue as, why is it in the feminine? Is it that James was opposed to women? Or is it that James is simply addressing women and, and not the men? But really, what, what James is saying, and this is my conclusion, is that the feminine form is used in the original because of the very nature of the Old Testament figure of speech concerning the nation of Israel as a bride of Christ, as a bride of God, married to God. And you see that also the metaphor in the New Testament where the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. And so you'll understand in James' mind when he writes in, his, in the original language and he, he puts it in the feminine form, he's basically looking at the church as the bride of Christ and because the church is the bride of Christ, if the church is worldly, it is spiritual adultery. And therefore it has nothing to do with James' dislike for females. But simply because of this picture that we see throughout the scriptures. And so James was not addressing marital unfaithfulness, but spiritual unfaithfulness, and therefore showing that that is adultery. And so, for example, when you read in Isaiah chapter 54, Isaiah 54 and verse 5, You actually see what the Bible says, for your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts. That's Isaiah 54 and verse 5. And there are many other passages where God accuses Israel for unfaithfulness. And sometimes, actually, the, the, the scriptures are so graphic in trying to address the, adou- the, the, the unfaithfulness of the nation of Israel. And I'll just give you a few that you can sort of jot down and, and read in your own time. When you read Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 21, Jeremiah chapter 3, Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 1 to 20, Jeremiah chapter 13 and verse 27. Ezekiel uh, chapter 16, verse 35 through to verse 39. And then Ezekiel chapter 23, verse 1 to 49. So Isaiah chapter 1, verse 21. Uh, Did I give you Isaiah chapter 50, verse 1? I don't think I did that. Isaiah chapter 50 verse verse 1. And then uh, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 1 through to verse 20. Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 27. Ezekiel chapter 16, 35 to 39. And then Ezekiel 23, verse 1 to 49. And, uh, And you see in those passages where God... He's bringing an accusation to the nation of Israel because of their unfaithfulness, and he's basically saying they have become unfaithful and therefore have committed spiritual adultery. And obviously, the most moving uh, account is that of Hosea, or Hosea, uh, when he was told to to marry a prostitute, when you read the book of Hosea, from chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. And and that's God highlighting his displeasure when his people are unfaithful. And you see this in the, in, in the life of Hosea, where he, he, he was taught to marry Goma, who was a prostitute. And the children born out of that, that relationship, it is believed, if you look even from the names, that those were not Hosea's Hosea's children. And you read finally when Goma now is put on the slave market and she's been disowned by the men she's been going out with. And God commands his servant Osea to go back and pay for her, to buy her back, to take his wayward wife out of the slave market and restore her as his wife. And the New Testament also picks up the, on the theme of God as our husbands. The Apostle Paul talks about the relationship of the church and Christ as that of, like the, the relationship of the husband and the wife to the relationship of Christ and the church. And you also see that when you, when you read the book of Revelation, that the, the church is longing for the return of its bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, when James now speaks of, of, of this, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is spiritual uh, enmity with God? He's basically saying that... When we turn away from Christ and embrace the world, we are sinning against his great love, the love that bought us out of the slave market of sin. And that's why the Apostle John contrasts the love of the world with the love of God. And his, his, John also tries to highlight, to, sh- to help us see that there cannot be a relationship between a Christian and the world. We've been bought from the slave market of sin and our allegiance must be to one husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone loves the world, says John, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... And the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. That is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. And this is the message. And that's why James is hard-cutting to drive this home. And he says, you adulterers, People, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? It's not like he's unloving, but he realizes that the, the issue at hand is important, that it must be communicated with the agency, with the firmness and with the boldness it deserves. This is a message to us. If you are a Christian, if you know Jesus Christ as your savior, you belong to his covenant people. You are his bride. And you must stand from this evil world and be faithful to him. You, you are married to him. And when you become worldly, when the church becomes worldly, they are committing spiritual adultery. And this is a serious sin. Just as marital unfaithfulness is serious sin, even more so spiritual and faithfulness. And and, and and we must wake up from this complacency as Christian, drop all kinds of excuses, and face the magnitude of the sin of worldliness but also be able to to not only to rebuke one another, but to be conscious of the fact that we have one husband and is seated on high, interceding for each one of us by name. And now for us uh, to begin to engage in worldliness while the the faithful bridegroom He's preparing a home for us. His spiritual adultery. And this must be dealt with because true faith avoids worldliness. And James brings this to the fore. But secondly, you see that he he not only shows them that friendship with the world is spiritual, adultery. But he also brings in a a serious accusation. A serious accusation. And this serious accusation is this, the last half of verse 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And there it is. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He says, if you wish to be friends with the world, and this is the accusation, and this is a serious accusation I'm bringing before you, says James. You are making yourself an enemy of God. And James lays upon their consciousness the outrage of, of their sin, With a question of rebuke and and a ringing declaration of the significance of their attitude. And he says, you engaging in worldliness is making you to be enemies of God. And for a Christian, friendship with the world is a deliberate choice that you make. He says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's a deliberate choice. Because the the idea of friendships, friendship highlights the idea of, of loving as well as being loved. And friendships with the world points out the, the true nature of a person who is deliberately seeking activities of the world. The, the, the noun friendship, philea, in the, in the original only appears in, in the book of james but of course the, the, the new testament has the kindred word uh, philos which is common from it and then you also have the, the the word which comes from the 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 verb phileo but james is using the word philea and it still has the same ringing tones with philos or phileo, which means to love, to have affection for, but it it can also mean to kiss. And to kiss as an indication of affection. And what James is saying is this, that this friendship donates an an attitude that is marked by kind regard and affection for the world. Friendship with the world makes the world as the object of your supreme affection. And this, James says, it's a deliberate choice. It's not like you simply just find yourself being friends with the world. No, it's because you are, you've slowly begun to develop affection for it. And you began to regard the world. And therefore, you reached a point where you now began to pursue the things of this world. And this is why James says, it makes you to be an enemy of God. Richard Woof puts it this way, and I quote The world is human nature, sacrificing the spiritual to the material, the future to the present, the unseen and the eternal to that which touches the senses and perishes with time. The world is a mighty flood of thoughts, feelings, principles of action Conventional biasnesses, dislikes, attachments, which have been gathering around human life for ages, impregnating it, impelling it, molding it, and degrading it. The world is a human, its human nature sacrificing the spiritual to the material. The future to the present, the unseen and the eternal to that which touches the senses and perishes with time. The world is a mighty flood of thoughts, feelings, principles of actions, conventional biasness, dislikes, attachments, which have been gathering around human life for ages, impregnating it Impelling it, molding it, and degrading it. And the world there, when James says friendship with the world, that's what he has in mind. The world stands for an, an organized system that hates and openly defies God and his son Jesus Christ. Uh, the world that James is saying we must not be friends with, it is this world that is an organized system that hates and defies God and His Son and everything that God stands for. It is a world that wants to have nothing to do with God, a world that wants to govern itself and yet dependent. On God for support. A world that wants to live in God's world and yet wants to get rid of the owner of the world. A world that wants to have everything to do with, to be centered on, on themselves, their pleasures, their feelings, their wants, and yet when it fails to pursue those things, it goes back to the very God it does not want. A world where the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions dominate the horizons of life. Worldliness is human activity without God. That's what Joe biki says. It's human activity without God. And James is saying, anyone who's a friend with this system, this thinking, these principles is definitely an enemy of God. Because God has saved you from sin, He's cut ties. Your ties with the world, and yet you still want to go back to that very world, the world which you know has everything in opposition against your God. Can you imagine? Imagine a couple gets married or they're married. And then after some time let's say maybe after two or three years the husband tells his wife well I'm going out tonight with an old girlfriend of mine but don't worry I I still love you but I want to keep in touch with her as well can you imagine that When you get married, you vow to forsake all others and devote exclusively to your spouse. And a marriage that will go through this, will know that that marriage is in danger. It's just a matter of time it will not survive. But this is what the, the Bible says to us that We are married to Christ. When you come to to Christ as, as your Lord and Savior, you say goodbye to the world. This world, once upon a time, used to be your companion, your friend. You spent many hours running with it, doing all kinds of things. But you can't bring it into your marriage to the Lord Jesus Christ. He accepts no rivals. You are either with him. Exclusively him. Or you are with the world. And you are with the world. You are an enemy Of God, and how frightening that you for you to make yourself an enemy of God. Friendships with the world and friendships with God are mutually exclusive, they can't mix both the world. And God are masters that desires to be saved. They are masters that cannot be saved on part-time basis because they stand for different principles, different morals. They both demand complete allegiance. And this is why Christ said you cannot save both two masters at the same time. You love one and hate the other because these two masters are in opposite ends with principles that do not mix god and the world are mutually exclusive and friendship with the world means you are living to please yourself rather than god you live to find pleasure in the things of this world than God. And James is saying because of this the definite claim is that you are an enemy of God. That's the logical conclusion. And this solemn fact is the logical consequence of your actions. You've given yourself to the world and yet you still want to claim that you love God John Piper puts it, points out or puts it this way the Bible is not against us having pleasure rather it is against us finding pleasure in the wrong things or in the wrong ways knowing God is the ultimate pleasure End of quote. Knowing God is the ultimate pleasure. And the scriptures do remind us of this truth. When we read the Psalms, Psalm Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's Psalm 16, verse 11 Psalm 36, verse 7 to 9. How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. And there are many such verses that that reminds us and points us that God is our ultimate pleasure. He uh, He should be the supreme object of our affections as Christians. And we cannot love God and the world. And to love the world is to be enemies of God. And we must not pursue the things of this world at the expense of our relationship with God. And, and we live at the time when there are so many allurements from the world, subtle allurements of the world. And, and oftentimes they, they come must as innocent enjoyments. But yet, behind that, those allurements is a system that is opposed to God. A system that wants to take your time from God, take your time from reading the scriptures, take your time away from everything that is related to God or everything God. And you consume hours and hours of such delights, and then when you ama- when you quantify the time you spend consuming such materials, such delights, such allurements, you discover that it's like drinking from broken cisterns. You are never satisfied. And as a reminder, this afternoon. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. You are an enemy of God. Let God be the fountain of living water that can satisfy us. Let him be our objects of our supreme love and we must pursue him, delight in him, save him and save do everything that will glorify his name, and only then we will we see that there is no equal in this world. God is everything. And then James ends with this searching acclamation this searching acclamation or searching statement, he says, or oh, do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns generously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? That's verse 5. James is saying, do you think the scriptures are joking when they say spiritual adultery provokes God to jealousy. That's what he's saying. Do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Worldliness in, Christ- in Christians evokes. God's adverse response. And James is saying, the scriptures give us this authoritative message that God is moved to displeasure when his people engage or are sold to the things of this world. And, and verse 5 of James 4, on the surface, appears to be a very easy verse. But it's, it, it, is, it, is, it is not as easy as it seems. It is one of the most difficult verses in, in James. And when I was trying to consult commentators here and there, they've also got different views that what should be the right reading of the verse. When it says... He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Is it God's spirit? Is it your spirit? And all the arguments can simply be summed up into two. The first view, which is the NIV and the King James, translates this verse that the spirit which he has made to dwell in us lasts with envy. And in this sense, the verse is a warning against the tendency of the human fallen spirit towards the sin of envy. And those that are in favor of this view translate envy uh, as what the spirit in us resonates with the displeasure of God when he looks at how w- rather when Christians are being worldly. The, the, the other views which is the ESV and the, the New American Standard Bible translate he, God, jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. And in this translation, James is referring to God's holy jealousy for his people. And that's what seems to be what the ESV actually says. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. And so, really the point of what James is trying to address when you look at the context of the, the passage itself is the fact that when you follow his th- his, his his thought pattern, he's been addressing worldliness, the quarrels, and then he's trying to show them that spirit that worldliness in Christians is spiritual doubt. Therefore, it makes sense when you read verse five to refer to God's holy jealousy as a husband who yearns for the affection of his bride so that when you look at what james is saying james is not so much talking about the spirit in us but he's basically saying look think of god your husband god's spirit yens with jealousy when you give yourself to the things of this world it's not like god is seated and simply smiling no you are his he bought you with his blood and when you're out there enjoying the things of the world, God doesn't simply say, no, it's fine. I mean, I've got so many. No. He ends with jealousy. And the scriptures are clear. He's a jealousy God. We shall have no other gods before him. He doesn't desire anything to compete for our attention. He must be number one. And you see that this is James, his thought pattern. But the added problem to this verse is that he seems to be quoting the scriptures. He said, oh, do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scriptures says? And everyone would be asking, so which verse is he quoting? Because there's no... Particular verse that is referring to, even when you go back into the Old Testament. But my understanding there is this: James is not referring to one particular verse or portion of scriptures, but is referring to the entire teachings of the scriptures. When you look at the Old Testament, the Torah, God's dealing with the nation of Israel, and God's message to them is that they must remain faithful to Him. And if they don't remain faithful to him, he will remain faithful to himself, but he will drive them away. And this even now points us to the fact that Jesus came in the place Of us, we fail to be faithful to God. In fact, we continue to be unfaithful to God. But his beloved son came into this world and lived a life in total obedience to his father. He had the father as his his supreme object of his affection. His allegiance was with his father. And he did everything that the Father wanted, so that He can redeem us, a people that had been wayward, sold to the market, to the slave of, to the market of sin, living in sin, indulging in sin. When Christ came and paid the ransom price, He paid the price which made the Father to be satisfied. And in Christ, the Father is. Well pleased. And the Spirit reminds us every day that we are His children. And therefore, we must avoid worldliness. Because it provokes God, it annoys God. He's a jealousy God. And hence James tells us that when we are battling with worldliness, God gives us more grace. As we read in verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but give grace to the humble. And we need to search ourselves. If we belong to God, we will avoid worldliness. Because God gives grace to avoid worldliness, He doesn't leave us to, to fight this battle on our terms, He gives grace. More grace to live as his bride, devoted to him, sword to him and him alone. True faith, avoid worldliness. The Holy Spirit does not want you to give one ounce of your energy one moment of your time one square inch of your heart to ungodly things because it grieves god he's a jealousy god and every moment that is stolen from god he grieves he grieves And the only way to avoid worldliness is by constantly drinking from the fountains of living waters, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us his word and we must turn our eyes on him and we must look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. There's nothing that this world can offer that can satisfy you. All the allurements, the attractions, are but a A passing phrase, a phase rather. They are here today and tomorrow they are gone. The only true and lasting source of happiness in your life is God. And as we sing our hymn in closing, it must be a prayer for all of us to be resolved. No longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. But things that are higher, things that are nobler, these are the things that we will pursue. And we must resolve to be on this path, whether friends oppose you, but to say, I will pursue God, for only him and him alone can Satisfy. Amen.